This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE Intellinews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Hello and welcome to Window on the East with me, Ben Aris, the editor of BNE Intellinews. Ukraine's bond market is set to be hooked into the Clearstream payment and settlement system as of the end of April. This could transform the market. It will open a whole new pool of investment capital as international bond traders can buy and sell Ukraine local debt from the comfort of their dealing chairs in London and New York. In anticipation of this, already $1 billion thereabouts has flowed into the market, and that could transform the debt profile for Ukraine going forward. The country has a debt mountain to climb this year and is going to need every penny it can get. Goldman Sachs issued a report saying that between 2 and $6 billion in total could flow into the market as a result of the change. I talked to veteran investor Paul McNamara from GAM who says that investors should be cautious. There's a tendency to compare Ukraine to Russia, which is right next door, but the two economies are starkly different. Better to look at other emerging markets like Brazil and Argentina. So, Paul, good, good to talk. Um, coming up is this uh, Ukraine's bond market is going to be hooked into Clearstream. And if that goes anything like it did in Russia, which joined Clearstream in 2012, then the amount of foreign investment going into the local bonds should take off. Russia saw billions of dollars, $20 billion go into the local market. And currently, foreign investors are somewhere between 25 and 30% of the outstanding bonds. And in Ukraine, there seems to be some excitement in so much as we've seen a billion dollars go in. And suddenly, if you look at the chart, uh, it's taken off. But there's still only 3 or 4% of the bonds are held by foreigners. And this Clearstream thing is supposed to happen in the next weeks. Do, do you think it's going to the same thing's going to happen in Ukraine as what happened in Russia? Um, to the same degree, no, I don't really think so. Um, in particular, I mean, Russia is investment grade, which I think is, is particularly important. Um, there isn't the appetite for a relatively obscure, relatively illiquid, more speculative credit that there is for something like Russia. Um, I mean, Russia's in all the major uh, emerging market local bond indices. Uh, Ukraine isn't. Um, I mean, the one, I think the one thing that will be, I mean, certainly there will be a lot more money able uh, to, to invest in Ukrainian government debt uh, than, than there is at the moment, uh, both, both in theory and in practice, and especially in practice. It's, it's really quite difficult to open a sub-custody account to open all the other um, settlement arrangements that you need in Ukraine. I mean, even compared with other countries, which are not in Clearstream or Euroclear, you know, places like Brazil, I mean, I mean Ukraine is a, is a different level of difficulty. Um, it's definitely going to help. It's definitely going to increase the amount of foreign capital um, that's put to work in Ukraine. But it's not going to be another Russia. I suppose as well, the fundamentals that stand behind the bonds. I mean, Russia has like stellar fundamentals. It's running a triple surplus. It's got uh, $500 billion almost in reserves. It can cover its external debt dollar for dollar with cash. Whereas Ukrainians' economy uh, is in a lot more, how shall I say, feeble state. I mean, they've only just got enough money to cover three months of imports. And inflation is still running at 18%. Um, and they're at the very beginning of the process of macroeconomic 
recovery. Having said that, though, I mean, MinFIN and uh, the National Bank of Ukraine have won widespread um, praise for the work they've done. They've, they've seemed to be very good at uh, the really solid uh, policies. But doesn't, I mean, that, that, that actually argues for investment going in. Um, people uh, think the outlook is, is more optimistic, but at the end of the day, it's still very early stages. Is, is that a fair assessment? I th- yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a fair assessment, but we, we've we've kind of uh, skimmed over uh, you know the central element here, which is yield. Uh, I mean, Russian Russian uh, sort of seven eight year bonds yield about eight uh, percent. Ukrainian ones are hovering around twenty percent. So yes, I mean, inflation is much higher in Ukraine, but there's you know the, it's both the risk and the reward are much higher. I mean, Ukraine's role as a foreign uh, bond investor is as one of the speculative, higher-yielding, higher-risk things, you know, to boost returns, if you can call it correctly, whereas uh, Russia's much more kind of one of the anchors uh, of an EM portfolio. Uh, I mean, the parallels for Ukraine we would use would be, say, somewhere like, I think, Argentina, um, you know, sort of high ri- or Egypt. Uh, high risk, high return, illiquid. You're never going to have as much of your portfolio in there as you would in one of the bigger markets, you know, be it Poland, be it Mexico, or be it Russia. Uh, But it's a lot punchier. You know, this is what happens when you've got a country which is partly occupied by by Russia, where they're not really sure where their um, eastern border is going to be. Um, They're the the other way around on oil as well, or energy prices compared with Russia. Russia benefits from high oil and gas prices. It's a real problem for Ukraine, you know, with kind of cold winters and and the Russians trying to push the the oil price up. Um, So, as I say, I think, you know, I I, I think the proximity to Russia and and the Cyrillic uh, alphabet make people uh, associate Ukraine much more with that than really where it belongs, which is sort of the the speculative smaller elements of the portfolio, uh, where people would be, would be aiming to make more money. Well, what about the risks going forward? I mean, I've been writing that there's a, a debt mountain to climb in the coming years. That Jurasko, the former finance minister, uh, minister, um, really structured all of Ukraine's debt, and it was put off for five years. But from now, that that debt is coming due. And Ukraine is going to have to spend something $12, $15 billion a year for the next five years going forward. Now, if you run through the numbers with the IMF money that they're going to get, plus the World Bank EU, and uh, the Eurobonds, the the MinFin is talking about issuing something on the order of $4 billion, then the numbers just all add up just. um, If you add in the, the domestic borrowing and if that goes up then actually they can do it quite comfortably but you had for example this issue with um privat bank and its former owner kolomoisky has won a couple of cases and tim asher uh, blue bay says that's a deal killer for the imf and if you take out the imf money then ukraine can't cover its repayments and if you remove the local debt that investors are supposed to be buying then it all becomes unworkable and the whole thing will fall flat on its face is, is that a real risk yeah, it's absolutely a real risk. The same way that it's a real risk in Argentina if if we don't get uh, a bigger drop in imports. There's a real risk in Turkey uh, if, you know, if the government steps away from the plan. Um, you don't get paid 20% a year in interest uh, for, for somewhere that there's no risk. I mean, I think Ukraine is, if anything, slightly conservatively priced, uh, sort of relative, you know, relative, uh, sorry, aggressively priced relative to, uh, relative, relative to its other parallel markets. Um, 
I just keep coming back to coming back to the point. You have to understand that this isn't like putting your money in a bank deposit in Russia or uh, or, or a T bill in Russia. There's a lot more risk. There's an awful lot of things that can go wrong. You didn't mention energy prices. Um, there's various things. I mean, uh, one of the, the big new elements in the Ukrainian balance of payments is remittances, particularly from Poland. There's absolutely vast number of things that can go wrong in Ukraine. That, that's absolutely clear. But uh, turning you know a domestic debt market into something which which foreigners will get involved in is one of the things that they need. They need to make it work in order uh, for for Ukraine. Ukraine's reform program, Ukraine's program to converge with the West to happen. Uh, it's not a given by any means. You know, we have countries which serially blow up. But, you know, I can also remember when you, when Russia was a basket case, even when Poland was a basket case, it's that you're, you're, you're getting in at, at the very bottom level of what could be, you know, hugely profitable and, you know, and Sort of mesmerizing growth story, or which could just be another disaster. I mean, Ukraine's had two default, two government debt defaults in the time I've been doing this job. Surely, though, we should be encouraged because they have actually put it all in place. I mean, the Clearstream deal is done, and it's going to open up Ukraine to a new pool of capital. Um, there was yep. this Goldman Sachs report. Um, they say that some $1 billion has already gone in, and they were predicting something between 2 and $6 billion could go in this year uh, into this local debt by foreign investors. I mean, $6 billion of extra financing would make an enormous difference, wouldn't it? I mean, do you, do you think that's realistic? Yeah, it would. But, that, but that, um, it's potentially realistic. Uh, I mean, it, if you look at sort of my slightly depressing day job, which is looking for profitable opportunities with interest rates kind of at zero in, in Europe pretty much forever, not a huge amount higher in the US. People are always looking for the next high-yielding, high-returning story. And that's definitely what's potentially the case in Ukraine. If Ukraine can start putting a track record, I mean, I think ever since 1989, people have seen, you know, say, Poland or the Baltic states as kind of blazing a trail and then been slightly mystified why Ukraine, not necessarily rightly mystified, but mystified why Ukraine wasn't following it. But all those countries were high-risk speculative basket cases in the past, you know, there is definitely a scenario where this can work, but equally there's a scenario where it's just another, you know, as we saw after the Orange Revolution, as we've seen periodically in the past, it's just another um, sort of pause, you know, hitting another mm. step on your, way, on your way being thrown down the stairs. So go on then, put a pin in the map. I mean, we've got the New Zelensky government. Um, he's actually had his first test with this passport row, and he actually crushed Putin, if you ask me, at the weekend by offering Russians Ukrainian passports so that they could come and live in a free country. And, of course, this is all kind of aggressive, amusing as it is, um, but hopefully he can make a, a difference, uh, particularly if he can win some sort of political party base in the Rada elections uh, in October. But are you generally optimistic about the way Ukraine's going or wait and see? Uh, we've seen too many false dawns. I mean, I think especially the euphoria after the original orange quote-unquote evolution, um, you know, there was, there was uh, quite a huge surge of foreign money sort of put into Ukraine then. They made a lot of money for a bit and then it all fizzled out. Uh, I think it, it's risky not not to look at Ukraine carefully, you know, maybe for, for someone like us, put a little bit of money in. But, you know, we're going to want to see, you know, a Ukraine that will work even if the oil price goes to $100 a barrel. We need to see Ukraine that will work even if, the, even if Russia starts playing power politics with the gas pipelines. 
even if we get them pushed, you know, even more reluctance on the part of the EU to increase increase links. Uh, it's got huge potential. Uh, I'd be hesitant to say there's an awful lot more than that there. And last question. I mean, the Kremlin is taking the line that, if you ask me, that uh, they're not going to deal with Zelensky or make a serious effort to start negotiating with him until the Ryder elections are passed in October. And without any, he has no representation in the, in the parliament at all. And without that representation, it doesn't matter who he is, what he believes. He can't do anything. You know, one assumes that the, the vested interests, uh, the political elite, will carry on doing what they're doing and they actually will control most of the key portfolios. How important are these October elections? Doesn't Zelensky have to repeat his victory in the presidential election, in the parliamentary elections, if Ukraine is going to have any chance of actually starting to, you know, to, to begin this process of reform and catch up? He absolutely needs to, to build a base of support in the RADA, whether that's building his own party or building sustainable coalition. I mean, Ukrainian politics are, are particularly toxic, even by the standards of, of, of the, you know, of the, of the CIS countries uh, in, in terms of, you know, because not just you've got an oligarchic faction, which, for example, you also have in Kazakhstan, but, they don't, but their interests don't seem to run uh, together. So it's much harder to put a coalition together. Uh, yeah, but to answer your question, these elections are absolutely crucial, uh, and he needs to build a coalition of some sort. I don't think it necessarily has to be a Zelensky party, but yes, he, ha he definitely needs uh, legislative support. There's no way that it, you know, this is going to work as a political outsider without any particular... You know, if Poroshenko, who was at least a, a rich man, uh, if not a particularly competent politician, uh, couldn't make this work, it's going to be extremely difficult for Zelensky. So if there's going to be a boom, then it can't really start until at earliest the beginning at the end of this year. Oh, well, I mean, look, market, markets are weird. I mean, you could have a massive rally between now and August, and then suddenly in August, everybody suddenly realizes there's an election and takes fright. Uh, but for something sustainable to happen for Ukraine, not just in terms of putting money into government bonds, but sort of direct investment, uh, portfolio investment in equities and everything else, we're going to have to see some structure, some proper structural changes. And I know structural reform is such a boring kind of throw away a get out for, for why things don't work but there you know ukraine is an exceptionally dysfunctional uh, economy and that and fixing it is going to need a lot of political support great paul thank you so much for taking the time really absolute pleasure